Welcome back to Power Sessions with Natasha, where we find our power, confidence and have real conversations. This is part two of the Diaspora Orphan. Today we're talking about the children who get to join their parents in the diaspora after some time of separation. In the last episode, I told you all how I wasn't separated from my family for that long. However, I had to live with family members before coming here and it was the worst time of my life and it actually made me realize how much of a fight I was, how strong I was, although I was young because I was like, you know, 12, 13 years old, you know, I, I had to stay with family and let me tell you something, people cannot wait to try and mistreat you because your parents are not there or because, you know, your family has lived a certain lifestyle or in my case, you know, before emigrating somewhere, you know, in my situation to them, it was like we were already well off and now, you know, we were going to be more well off, you know, but I know in some cases it's like you used to be poor, but now your parents are obviously going to make all your lives better whilst we stay poor, you know, and they just want to find a way to, to put you down, to, to just be horrible, you know, um, I remember like, you know, my calls were monitored, you know, my mom and my dad would call me, I had no privacy, nothing, all my calls were monitored, the food I ate was monitored, I remember I wasn't allowed to um, eat after school, you know, when you come from school and you're a kid and you're are hungry, you know, and you just want to have like an afternoon uh, snack, you know, from school, I wasn't allowed to do that. But the daughter was allowed to do that, you know. So what I would do is after school, I had money, you know. I would go with my best friend who now lives in America. We would go together after school, buy some food, some snacks, go to so many places, enjoy ourselves. Just enjoy myself because, you know, before I went back home to the house that I absolutely hated living in, you know. My friend's family actually... um, lived near us and on the weekends I would go to her house and you know I loved her mom's <laughs> banana bread um and I would just spend the day with them there her and her sisters and I just used to love being there because I could escape you know escape the people that I lived with but um what I realized is that I could only live with these people for a short while and I moved myself out you know as young as I was Because I found myself just literally feeling so locked in, so uncomfortable and so sad, which were feelings that I'd never had. I remember one weekend, I don't know where they went or where they'd gone. I packed my bags, you know, took public transport and moved to my grandparents, which was about an hour away. Um, I landed with my stuff at my grandparents. I hadn't even told the relatives that I was staying with that I was leaving or had left, you know. Um, it just so happened that they were looking for me everywhere and then they called my grandparents and, you know, my grandparents told them that, yes, I was there. They then made the, the trip down and thought I was going to go back with them. And I was like, I am not going anywhere with you evil people. Like I'm staying here and that's it. You know, to be honest, it was just basically this whole need to be kind of mentally abusive. You know, to be honest, they just wanted to be mentally abusive. People always think they have monopoly when it comes to these situations, you know. They were then very angry with me uh, moving out because me moving out meant they were not going to get the money from the diaspora, isn't it? But meanwhile, when I was living with them, 
They told me your parents don't send any money here. They don't send a dime in this house. That's why I wasn't allowed to eat and all of that. But I knew my parents were sending the money. You know, I knew my parents would never do that. Um, but yeah, I said, I'm not going. I left. I was so glad I never, ever lived with their toxic selves ever again, you know, but many, many kids before they move to the diaspora are taken care of by family members and it can either be great or not. You know, I loved living with my grandparents, although sometimes my grandmother, yeah, <laughs> she could have been a pain, but I was just happy to be at a home that I loved, a home that I knew and I just felt free and happy, which is what a child wants in their life. Just to be free and happy. It's a basic need in life, you know. Some children, though, do not have the option of living in one household. You know, some children, every end of school term, go to different relatives' homes. That is so, so hard and so unbalancing. And normally, guys, in these situations, grandparents are the comfort that helps in these situations. Grandparents are just, you know, the anchor of it all when you're in these situations. You know, we all love our grandparents. Well, let's move on to moving on to the diaspora. You know, moving over to live with parents after long periods of separation doesn't go as smoothly as people think. You know, it can actually make or break families there are so many accounts so many accounts where parents have not lived with their children for many years and the first time that they do it can be war or hell on earth in that house you know most parents have this picture in their heads of who they left behind you know maybe when that person was like seven years old and maybe now this person is now 18 years old they think somehow we will all live under one roof. They will just be the parent and the child will just be a child. And that is a big screaming, no, not going to happen. Most children who've had long periods of separation from their parents cannot be parented that easily because they have basically raised themselves. Yes, you sent money as a parent, you know. You, 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 but you were not there in the moments. You know, sometimes you just have a bad day or a bad time and you just want your mom to be there, your dad to be there to either hug you, tell you it's okay. It's, it's those moments, you know, they needed emotional support, love. Yes, you called often, we spoke often, but the child never really got to tell you how they felt, what had happened early in the day. The time that they wished somebody was just there to just say, it is okay. You know, that distance that is created creates a void. You know, that void is created between children who've had long periods of separation from their parents. It's like any relationship. If you don't see the person often, there's a little gap that creates, isn't it? You know, so it is the self-parenting and getting used to there being no one around to really protect you. That is the issue. And if they have younger siblings... They have had to protect them and raise them as well. Trust me, these are roles that they have been having to transition into, you know. The transition of also being in the same household can mean that the parents need to realize at first that they are two. 
separate families existing in the beginning, you know, whether it's, you know, you've got children or a child, you know, sometimes children have so many questions and some even have anger, you know, so let's move on to how to navigate the new living situation. How do people mend these very estranged but not so estranged relationships. There is estranged in a way, but not completely, you know. What people need to do is they have to get to know each other all over again. The parent has to realize that the child in front of them feels as if they don't know them. They don't understand them. You know, the child needs to have an understanding parent who realizes this and acts according, not according to, oh, you are so rebellious. You don't listen. Is this why I brought you here for you to not listen to me? Or else it will be a continuous struggle. If a child is lucky and they have listening parents, honestly, that they can try and build and get to know each other again, a relationship can be built, but try to build a friendship first. A friendship first would help build that initial trust it's all about trust you know if you've never lived together or not lived together for a long time there's no trust there friendship would be the key in this situation parents make an effort to ask what do they like to do ask about how they felt since you all didn't live together ask about their life whilst they were living away from you when you ask somebody things like that the child will open up they will tell you their feelings They'll even tell you details of days and things that they experience, good or bad, you know. It could be even now got to the point where you'll be driving or going and think, oh, mom or dad, I forgot to tell you this. You know, the child also needs to understand that this is a challenge for the parent and give the parent some time. You know, it's a challenge, especially we're talking about African Caribbean parents, you know, it's tough for them, you know, but strong family bonds are needed to make it in the diaspora. And it normally is the immediate family that gets you through it, you know, moving and joining each other as people just doesn't end in, oh, we now live together. You know, a lot is involved in adjusting into a new culture and people. When children move overseas or abroad, there are benefits, but also challenges. You know, the challenges are being surrounded by new culture, ways of living, you know. And one huge important aspect of that is friends, not having your friends that you are used to and trying to navigate that whole making new friends thing. However, all things can change, change and make this whole thing a challenge for the child as well the child's identity of the diaspora is very important diaspora life is all about embracing new opportunities and i honestly believe we are very resilient you know we have had to master a new set of behavioral norms when you're a diaspora in child you go into society you're looking at people's behavior how people act you know we are very keen observers of human nature actually when you look at it and we are very quickly to realize and understand that there's a reason driving every attitude, behavior, no matter how strange it is or seem, we tend to be accepting of very different perspectives is what I found because we are trying to navigate in a different place, you know, 
the the skill set that a child growing up in the diaspora can have can prove very beneficial, very highly beneficial in life. According to to a few studies that I came across, they said that people who spent at least one year outside of their home countries were four times more likely to achieve a bachelor's degree. And when you look at the diaspora families, you know, when they move abroad, we are very high achieving people, very high achieving families. You know, a lot of our children go to universities, become something great in life, you know, so it can be a positive thing. Let's then move on to identity. Diasporan kids begin to find themselves questioning their identity sometimes due to the complex nature of their upbringing. You know, there's this whole rich cultures and experiences that can make it hard for a person to put their own, you know, just to pin down their own origins. Like, where do I belong in all of this? You know, sometimes questions that seem very simple to people who have never spent their lives in one place or a country can provoke, honestly, significant introspection in a diaspora child, you know. There was a very interesting study that I came across where a lady, you know, said that um, being being a diaspora child had affected her when she returned home to her birth country in Egypt. She said that, um, I'll just quote her, she said, it started with the gentleman at the, you know, hotel reception who was trying to rectify an error with her booking. Then it was the waitress at breakfast, the cashier at the supermarket, people that crossed my path who before deciding to speak to me in English instead of Arabic hesitated for a moment because they couldn't quite ascertain whether or not I was Egyptian, you know. And she said, I didn't naturally or confidently initiate or influence, you know, or start a conversation in Arabic. I hesitated too. I didn't know which part of my identity was supposed to tap into. You see, it's the tapping into which person to tap into. She concluded that, I love being able to choose to be whoever I want, wherever I go. My many masks are a storyboard of all that I am. I've gradually built myself as an identity that is a collection of pieces, each of which I've handpicked, choosing the best bits in order to create a whole. I've realized that those pieces are not mutually exclusive, but that they are dependable on each other. Being rootless doesn't mean I don't belong to one place. It means I choose to belong to many. And there are so many people, honestly, who've grown up in the diaspora who have done this. You know, they know that, you know, if, don't you love it when you're in a situation and you can completely just switch and just be your very whole authentic African self when you're with African people. Then when you're with English people, you can just be English. It's that switching, it's that tapping into. So many people do this. There's so many facets to you when you're a diaspora in person or diaspora in child. It's totally fascinating, you know. However, there are very many, plenty culturally disconnected diasporan children. You know, we are allegedly blessed with two homes, you know, where we come from, where our parents come from, and then the UK or wherever you've moved to, you know. But with each passing generation, many of them feel more removed from their from their ancestry, you know. For many... This dual identity, this dual thing feels more like one that is fractured in half, you know. 
But what I'm loving right now is the rise towards a sense of belonging, you know, which has seen the diaspora child take an active step to reconnect with the continent, you know, the African continent, wherever you come from. You know, in 2018, Ghana's president, you know, he launched the year of return in the hope of convincing people from the African diaspora to visit, invest, or even settle permanently in Ghana. And so many people have taken advantage of that. You know, many diaspora children are also choosing to honor their heritage through so-called traditional weddings and marriages. You see them on Instagram, guys. You know, there are no records kept of the number of these ceremonies performed, but at least, you know, they seem to have appeared and, and, and risen in popularity among young people looking to get married who are diasporan children, you know, the beautiful, colorful African gear, the African beauty and all of that. It's, I'm loving all of that, you know. So let's move on to language. Language. If you don't speak, whatever, wherever you come from, Yoruba, Shona, Swahili, three, wherever, whatever is your native language, you know, how are your children going to speak the language? If you don't speak the language, you know, some people were born in their native countries and spoke their languages fluently, but most almost stop completely when they arrive in the UK, you know, as children or even as adults. I've seen adults do this. Trust me, where they come in speaking their languages and poof, a year down the line, they tell you they can't speak the language. You know, in my house anyway, my parents spoke Shona to us. And I, we answered back in Shona. We, my parents didn't speak Shona to us and we answered in English. You know, we spoke Shona and I answered back in Shona. I can read, write, sing, all of that fluently in my language. Um, I remember even sometimes we would be out um, and we'd be around English people and I just couldn't speak in English to my parents. I just physically, physically could not see as a feasible thing to do and I would just you know, completely switch. And some people had a problem with it. And I'm like, listen, if you have a problem with it, you need to leave, <laughs> you know? But, um, you know, I think that a, a lot of people were advised that speaking, you know, whatever native language you came from in English would affect your speaking, you know, that if you spoke two languages, you'd be a late developer. It, it, it's a status thing as well, you know? A lot of people felt they had to follow Britishness, and forget about their culture, you know. This mentality can be traced directly to Britain's colonial rule in Africa. There are many, many languages spoken in Africa. How many? Can we even count the languages spoken in Africa? But English was chosen as the official language in so many African countries to facilitate linguistic unity. You know, the whole misspelling of our people's names, you know, was altered to align with the linguistic rules of English. You know, the British colonial government even made English examinations a compulsory requirement for any children hoping to attend university and made it mandatory for those seeking scholarships or jobs overseas that they would have had to have their exams in English, you know, and even if we look back home in many African countries, speaking your mother tongue or the vernacular as it was called, in some cases is still banned, you know, 
Or if you did, you would be punished at schools. You know, teachers believed it would it would affect your proficiency in English speaking, despite there being evidence that it's actually the opposite. Though no official statistics exist on how many diaspora children speak their mother tongue, it is normally assumed actually that most diaspora children are monolingual. They speak one language. Guys. Let's teach ourselves our languages so that our kids can speak our languages. There are many, many online channels that are available for this, you know. Yes, we moved and we live in the diaspora, but home is home. It's Africa. It lives in us. It's wherever you come from. For me, it's Africa. That's why I always say Africa. It lives in us. It is you. You understand? Yes, we make the sacrifices of moving as parents then we bring our children over here our children grow up here we make all those sacrifices but never forget that no matter what challenges we face as a diasporan family home is home you understand i hope you've enjoyed this episode and i hope you've enjoyed the last two episodes addressing the diasporan orphan the diasporan child and thank you so much for listening and i'll catch you on the next episode thank you